Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have the honor of being joined by Alex Valdez with TrustStamp.ai. Before graduating college, Alex founded and operated four separate companies, using the income from these businesses to pay his way through college. During his undergraduate, Alex spent 15 months studying abroad in Mexico, where he launched an innovative microfinance lending system in partnership with the Yucatan Yucatan State Department of Economic Development. After successfully exiting each of these businesses, Alex returned to the U.S. to complete his degree in accounting from the University of Georgia and became dual certified with the CPA and CMA designations. Alex worked as a strategy consultant before joining Trust Stamp on the founding advisory team. After six months of advising, Alex joined the company full-time as the chief financial officer, executive vice president, and board secretary. Since serving in his current role, Alex has contributed to the growth of Trust Stamp from a four-person scrappy startup in the basement of a shared working space in Atlanta to a publicly traded multinational company listed on the NASDAQ exchange with employees and offices across the world. Alex has been involved with just about everything from customer discovery and product launches to building the financing systems and leading the company through its IPO. And here to share that story and more is Alex. So Alex, thank you for being here, my friend. Drew, thanks so much for having me. We are pumped uh, for, to have you on here. One, just because of the, the success of the company that you've been a part of leading, uh, as well as the excitement of AI right now with uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but man, you know, we took our stab at kind of understanding your story. Uh, but in your own words, how did your involvement with Trust Stamp come to be? Yeah, absolutely. So to add a little bit of color um, to, the, to the founding story, um, the, the brainchild for Trust Stamp is, or was our, uh, our CEO, Gareth Jenner. Um, he had, back in 2015, he had approached our now president, uh, Andrew Gawazak, who are the two co-founders. Um, I think it was over a, a glass of scotch and a cigar. Um, they were musing uh, different AI concepts, and then in particular related to identity. Uh, so Gareth pitched to Andrew the idea of starting this identity startup. Um, where kind of the, the original thesis was, if you can imagine uh, people going to a third party uh, or a, a third seller marketplace, like uh, like Facebook's mar- marketplace or, um, or Craigslist, essentially a place where you're going to sell your phone or your bike. The problem is the person that you're engaging with through the internet, the stranger you've never met before, you have no idea if they're a serial killer. In fact, there's a website called Craigslist Killers, which I haven't uh, seen the... The, the count recently, but back then it was in the hundreds. Uh, but essentially, it, it's, a, it's a way that you can establish trust with a stranger before meeting them in person by sending them through your mobile device or your computer a trust a trust stamp invite, and the person that you're meeting online mm-hmm. can take a scan of their face, scan of their ID. We'll run all of our AI to forensically authenticate the ID, prove that the person that we took the selfie of is of a real live living person at that moment in time, um, and basically produce a trust score, right? Which will tell you that this person is trustworthy based on all these different parameters that we've collected. So that was the original thesis of the company. 
um, it, it kind of evolved to to working with uh, in a number of different industries, including financial services. So um, in the first year in 2016, we were approached by a Fortune 500 bank um, that wanted to kind of use that same concept, right? Being able to establish trust and identity uh, through people, through digital channels on, online, but not to sell a cell phone or a bike, but to establish a, a bank account. So uh, Andrew and, and Gareth got started with the company. Um, they invited me as well as a, a number of other people to join as part of the founding advisory team. Uh, that was in January 2016. Um, I had... Uh, engaged with them for the first six months or so um, and honestly was incredibly impressed right so during the six months then they had taken the company from you know basically zero to excel graduating from several accelerator programs um, and raising a couple hundred thousand dollars in seed capital so i was very impressed uh, they were starting to get the attention of this fortune 500 bank that i was i was just mentioning um, so at that point they invited me as well as our, our cto uh, Scott Francis, who'd come over from, he had just finished a, an eight-year stint at, at Google uh, to join full-time as the, the, the first management team member. So I joined as, as CFO. My background's in finance and accounting. Scott, obviously technical, so he, he came on as a CTO. Amazing, man. You know what's so funny is I would promise I was listening to you, but I just was, when you said the founder's name, I was like, I know that name. Oh. I have interviewed <laughs> your founder. Okay already which is hilarious i'm like i know that because it's such a unique name galasek yeah. right it's andrew galasek and i was like and I, I, was, I was when i saw your company name come across our thing i was like that sounds familiar but maybe it's just another you know another name that's familiar to that this <laughs> is so world. fun so i'm gonna get two angles and well and I, I get to do it because that was back in 2021 and so it'll be fun to know kind of where the company's at two years later right so for anyone listening, if you want to hear more of the origin story from that point, the early days, you can go back and listen to the Andrew Galasak episode. And now I want to know what you guys are up to, right? If I interviewed him in 2021, what's different about your company now in 2023? Yeah, so a couple things. Um, well, you know, of course, there was the pandemic that happened, right? <laughs> that kind of that yeah. shut everything down. Um, it, it was interesting timing because around that, that same time, right as you know, the pandemic was kicking off, um, we were going through our Series A round of funding, um, and we had decided, you know, just with kind of the uh, the market and, and business environment, we decided that going public was would actually be a really great strategic thing, considering the market multiples and, and the public markets and so on. Um, and also um, through the 2016 Jobs Act, um, a legislation was included called the Regulation A plus legislation, which basically made it possible for small companies to go public much cheaper, faster, uh, and, and more easily. Uh, it's a very difficult process, even even in our case. Um, but essentially, it makes it possible for smaller companies to get access to public markets um, and benefit from things like um, you know liquidity and, and and higher market multiples, depending on the environment. Um, so we decided to do that. So in 2019, 2020, um, we started that process. At the end of 2020, we closed our Series A round for $10 million. I'm trying to uh, just give you the, the the background before we get into 2021. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then we listed, um, we in 2021, we listed on the OTC markets here in the U.S. And um, 
And in January of 2022, we uplisted to NASDAQ. So if you kind of fast forward to the origin story, that one, you know, Fortune 500 company customer of ours has turned into, you know, a handful of, uh, of additional, you know, customers. We've raised $40 million in, in capital since, you know, for, since the beginning of the company. Um, and we're starting to, you know, we're starting mm-hmm. to make a, a transition in, in our revenue models, which is something I'm, I'm really excited about, something that we've been making uh, public and just recent, just yesterday came out uh, with a press release uh, regarding a SaaS platform that that we've launched and it's already getting um, very quick uh, traction. We have 24 companies that have that have jumped on it, um, so that's really taking all of the um, proprietary technology that we've built since the beginning of the company, packed it into a single platform, and are selling it in kind of a, a SaaS service model. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to talk about that. Uh, well, let me come back. I got three thoughts at the same time. One is from your point of view, why go public? Like, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. I just, it's like, I just generally curious, like, what do you weigh? What goes into the decision factor of a company that's thinking, do we want to, or do we not want to go public? Yeah. So th- there's a lot of factors, right? And the factors depend on, on the environment. So, you know, if you, if you rewind back a few years ago, um, the, the, the tech sector was a little bit different than it is today. Right. So you can, sure. you, you, you pretty much, you know, I, I joke around sometimes like you, you pretty much could just mention the, the, the term blockchain in Silicon Valley and raise a hundred million dollars with nothing more than a PowerPoint. Right. That's a, it's a little bit more yeah. difficult to do that today. Um, you know, so you have to consider the environment, right? Maybe going public uh, years ago, uh, you know, the conditions on, to go public a couple years ago would be different than today. Um, but generally, the factors you're thinking about are um, one, you know, what, what, what kind of access the investors can, can I have, right? So if, as a private company, you're confined to that, that more you know, traditional venture capital model. Of course, you could start with seed investors, angel investors, and, and work with strategic investors and venture capital as well. But you know, the more traditional model is you know, they want a pure SaaS company that is going to basically grow or die. And a lot of times, um, the terms in venture capital are hard to swallow. So you, know, you have to, as a founder, you have to be willing to make some tough decisions if you're going to go that route. We decided not to go uh, the traditional uh, venture capital route, we did take on strategic venture capital, which was a great option for us. Um, because with what's the difference in that? Is that taking on as debt versus? The yeah, equity? I mean, y- you could do a mix, right, of, of debt and equity. Um, most of ours are through convertible notes, but the the main difference between traditional and strategic strategic would be, like for example, um, uh, working with the venture capital arm to a Fortune 500 company that works in your sector, right? They say they look at Trust Stamp and they say identity uh, is a good fit for us. We could actually use it. We could use it in our company. We could sell it to our customers. So we'll invest, we'll take a chunk of the company and be a customer. So that's, that's really the best case scenario. And, and a lot of, and, 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 gotcha. and, and the beautiful thing with that too, is sometimes, you know, most of the time you can get around some of those, you know, vulture capital terms, which, you know, again, not all bad, but they can be tough for founders to make, make a decision on. Right. So whereas traditional um, is, is kind of more that side um, for us, you know, we were able to combine the um, strategic capital um, with working 
with having, you know, kind of a handful of Fortune 500 companies that were funding a lot of our early tech development. So we we effectively built our tech stack those early years by building technology for these companies and working with our strategic investors. Um, and, and, and it was great, right? Because, you know, it, it kept us from having to go and, you know, make make a huge, you know, huge 20, 30 million dollar raise and kind of dilute yourself to oblivion, which you see happening sometimes, right? Mm. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, yeah. we're kind of making that transition. So we've had all that, we've built our tech stack and now we've, you know, kind of plugged it into a single platform and that platform could be scaled and more of a SaaS model. So kind of full circle back to what the, the, the VCs really are looking for is that pure SaaS. Yeah. Well, I'm curious with the amount of tech companies that we're, we're watching suffer or crash right now, um, is, is some of these decisions that you're talking about, the routes you went and the way you chose to uh, raise money and that kind of stuff, is that contributed to you all being a little more stable in this, this economy right now versus the ones that were getting money at 100x, 300x valuations and could not live up to it, you know, or crushed under that? Yeah, no, it, it's a good question. I mean, you know, it's it's tough to say exactly, right? Because you know, you know, launching and running and scaling a startup, um, I think a good analogy is it, it's much like you know, maybe you've heard this before, but uh, it's it's much like jumping off a cliff and trying to assemble a plane fast enough and, and start it up before you smack into the ground and die. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, you know, so you have to save, you know, start it up, save your life, and and get going. So there's so many different factors that that can can affect it, but yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, I, I think a good, also a good example right now is if you look at Apple, right? And not, you know, I, I I'm an I'm an Android user. I just love the Apple company because just to your point, right? That real slow, steady, uh, measured growth, right? In good times and in bad, they haven't had any, mm. you know, major major layoffs like you're seeing with a lot of the the major tech companies. Um, so yeah, so you know. You know, we we took a we took more of a measured, slow growth, uh, steady growth o- over the years. Now, 2022 was tough. It was tough for everybody, right? And you know, obviously, launching going public in the beginning of 2022 uh, was a great time to go public. And then the whole market sentiment, you know, fell out during for the rest of the year. So we've had challenges around that. But again, by kind of keeping steady, steady growth, steady operations, we're able to you know get to the point we're at now. Love it. Uh, you know, you mentioned transitioning recently on the revenue model. And then early on, you talked about an important pivot of finding your niche, at least at the time, with the banks versus where you first thought the customers might come from. I'm always curious in that. You know, we have our idea of what we, our best guess of what we think it's going to, the product's going to look like and who it's going to serve and whatever. And then we update it as we go. And so, have there been any other, just for us to learn as business owners, have there been any other pivots or, almost pivots or anything like that, that we could learn from, from y'all's journey so far? Yeah, pivots. So, um, you know, the most substantial pivot, um, or there, there were several pivots, right? So kind of going back to the beginning, probably the most substantial one was that, uh, that peer-to-peer, you know, direct-to-consumer uh, uh, thesis and model that, that we, ori- you know, we originally had that, that our, our founders had come up with. Um, and then, you know, I think the important takeaway from, you know, from, from the pivot of going direct to consumer to, you know, B2B working with, with banks and working with government institutions and, um, you know, larger companies. And that's obviously totally different worlds, right? 
um, I think the the big you know the principle to take out of that is is really um, you know you have to be open minded, right? You have to be open minded. You have to be willing to listen to what you know. What are the customer needs, right? Because a lot of times we can devise in our minds, um, you know, this is this seems like the perfect product. This seems like the cool innovation. This seems like the thing, you know, I, I believe that they're going to want, but, you know, and while a lot of times you will get, yeah, that, that looks great. That's awesome. That's cool. I'm excited about it. You know, is it enough to get them to, you know, open up their wallet and, you know, put, you know, as I say, put the, put your money where your mouth is. Um, and you have to do that, over, yeah. you know, consistent enough over time to, to make a sustainable business. So being open-minded, sitting at the table, listening to the customer, hearing what, what their real needs are. Um, but also being disciplined and not necessarily saying, okay, exactly what you want, what you're telling me is what I'm going to go build, but tell me what your problem is. Help me understand it. I'll go back. We'll use our creativity and our expertise with our technology and, you know, come up with a solution and just have that really disciplined process. You know, the iterations like design thinking and uh, those type, those types of frameworks to, to, Mm. you know, to build a really good product. Yeah. I like that. And I'm curious that the at the technology level is, is the initial what, you know, I actually even think about like what we knew at the time, right? So like so much changes in technology so fast in terms of capabilities and, you know, what we can do, especially recently what we're seeing uh, with the open AI stuff and the chat GPT and whatever, uh, and companies being able to take updated and newer technology and further add features to their, their product or make it work faster or better, seamless, that kind of thing. Has that been, a process for you all or is like the tech stayed because it didn't need to change pretty much the same from the beginning of the company till now? Yeah, I, it's, it's in change. It's changed entirely. Right. So kind of the, the flagship innovation was, was centered originally around the, um, the, the, the trust score, right. So the trust score would capture the, the data such as the, you know, the ID and the face scan. We'd also pull social media information and, and, and plug it all into an algorithm to produce kind of like a, a FICO score, right? Um, but it's the trust score, mm-hmm. right? So like mm-hmm. zero to a thousand or zero to 800, to how much you can trust this person. And is this person really who they said said they are, right? So we're certainly still in, in the business of proving, you know, helping companies determine whether the, the person that they're engaging with or the customer or, or, you know, the constituent or whoever it is uh, that, that they're engaging with is, who they say they are right and but we've you know where we've pivoted is is the way that you know kind of the uh the adjacent um services that we're providing around that right so um like for example um i'll get to a uh kind of a more generic so yeah with like with with customer so we certainly do do work with like kyc right customer onboarding so i'm, I'm a bank i want to onboard a, a new customer um digitally Right. And we can do kind of that, that original model, right. Could prove their identity uh, and then pull other data points to, to de- determine, you know, is this a customer that I want to do business with? Or am I allowed to do business with this customer? Right. Um, so, you know, where we've, where we pivoted and evolved from that is uh, our most proprietary technology and kind of our flagship technology, with, uh, which is the IT2. So it's the, the irreversibly transformed identity token. Uh, and really what that that does is it helps companies mm. maintain privacy and data security around the identity, the very sensitive identity information that they're capturing, right? So for example, if I want to validate your identity, 
I can capture, you know, your face of Drew, right? Your the Drew selfie, Drew's ID, and if that if those image files or even the templates that are, you know, can be converted back into the image file are sitting on my laptop or sitting in my computer and someone hacks in and takes that, that's a huge compromise, right? It's a big problem for companies. So the IT too, what we'll yeah. do is we'll take that, yeah. we'll take those images and we'll transform them into essentially a um, an, an encrypted hash, right? So it's 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 our proprietary technology and 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 what um, what's unique about it versus encryption really is that you know it's 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 not entirely impossible to reverse engineer it. Of course, you know with quantum computing and and a lot of you know the technology of the future, everything you know everything is uh, is possible. Even blockchains are can be completely. Uh, compromise. So uh, it, it'll be a cat and mouse game continuously. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. you know, kind of uh, how it's always been. keeps the industry going, though. Yeah. I remember, I remember reading, um, there's a fascinating book about the Skunk Works, which was like the, the arm of uh, Boeing, maybe, and, and the government that was coming up with like the stealth plane and all that kind of stuff. And just in the telling of it, they were basically just letting you know this is how it works in the terms of technology and military is we create something within x amount of time whoever is the adversary has created something to counter that and then we create again and it's this back and forth like it just keep but it also spurs innovation you know if you take it out of war context which is totally different and we've got feelings about that i'm sure but just in technology like man that's that's how it's going to be um yeah have you guys thought about I'm sure you have. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on taking your product outside of just the financial services or banking world and back out to other applications. Like funny things that come to mind, eliminating catfishing, right? I don't know if you saw the, I don't know if you saw the Manti Teo documentary. Uh, no, I don't you got to watch it, man. Okay. It, it moved my heart seriously. Cause I remember being like, dude, this guy thought he was dating this girl that had died and, it was a Notre Dame football player, right? And uh, it made national news that his girlfriend yeah. had died. And then you find out later that she was never real in the first place and was just some dude. And um, it's this, you know, so they did a doc documentary on it from his point of view. And I'm like, man, trust stamp. If you required someone to verify they are who they say they are, even if they don't, you know, they're hiding behind an avatar or whatever, like that could be huge in the world of VR, you know, whatever. Um, like my kids are on Roblox right now. And, you know, one of the things that I we we're having a conversation with them last night is I'm not comfortable with you talking to strangers on there. You can play with your friends, but I don't know who's on the other end, right, of that thing. Uh, I think about Uber and think about, like, man, just the increased confidence people would have if somehow the driver had to scan his face right before you got in and you had to scan yours, that he knew you were who you said you were and blah, 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 blah. Like, so anyways, do you all ever think about branching into those or is that too much does that get away from the niche? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the, the, the number of use cases are tremendous, right? And, and they stretch from, you know, banking to uh, a, a endless number of government uh, applications, right? So Department of, of Defense to, um, you know, the Homeland Security and, and so on. I mean, even or even just account access for various agencies, right? Um, which, mm. you know, we, we, we do, we've, we've done a lot of work in, in the government sector and that's a big focus for us as well. So we've definitely branched out of financial services, uh, pre-employment screening, right? So a big problem with, um, yeah. uh, you know, you've, especially nowadays with, uh, with, uh, you know, people, 
uh, with remote work, right? And people applying for jobs or multiple jobs. Um, you know, one of the, one of the really great uh, uh, applications of our tech of the IT2 is our ability to basically. So when we create the, the IT2, which is essentially just a string of code, right? Um, like it's like a hash, mm. if you think about it. Um, and, you know, you could take that image, right. And you can store it on a database and, you know, uh, that gets filed as, or, or like a, like a list, like a, a gray list or a white list, black list and so on. Um, so if I capture your face again, applying for that same position, I can create a new hash and then our AI will, well, within nanoseconds will could match that hash against all the existing hashes in the database to see if there's a match. And if there's a match, then we know it's a duplicate. So we call it deduplication. De um, and there's there's just tremendous ah. applications for that. So, um, you know, if you think about identity theft and, um, you know, uh, uh, or just, you know, so if, I, if I'm, which is a big application, right? So if, if I still, right, if I, I, I can make a thousand different identities, but I only have one face, right? And there's certain ways I can get around that, yeah. but they're very difficult. So that's more of that cat and mouse game. Um, but if we can capture your face, yeah. And then and then hash it, check it against all the existing IT2s. Then you know we can kind of keep people from doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think about I'm assuming the hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent a year just on identity theft related issues. You know, like that's going to be a huge market for that. It's huge, that absolutely. Yeah, and it's growing. Is that the kind of thing, just as a business owner, that you think about expanding your business into, or is it like a licensing type play where, hey, we'll license out our technology if somebody else wants to to build the company for that sector? Like, how does that, how do y'all think about that? We, we've thought all of the above, right? So kind of going through that process of like, how, how do we want to, you know, how do we want to position ourselves in the market, right? Do we want to be the the front end application who's, you know, capturing the images and creating the hash or creating the IT2s and comparing them and so on? Or do we want to say, look, we'll just work in the background. You guys handle capturing and ID validation, those kind of things. You, we'll just produce the IT2s for you. We'll do the due duplication and a number of other services, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it really, uh, it's, a, it's a tough one, right? And, and we've certainly narrowed that down and it, it really does come down to focus, right? So we have to figure out, you know, where are we going to kind of sit in this market and, and you know, what, what makes the most sense for us, right? And also, you know, based on the condition, the, the, the environment, right, within that sector. So, you know, are there a lot of, uh, companies that are trying to sit on the back end. Are there a lot of companies that are, you know, handling the ID validation? So uh, we've certainly thought about that. We've thought about all of the above, and and we've really found our, you know, our, where we where we want to sit, um, you know, kind of in in the sector, um, and then kind of the the also the industries that we want to focus on the most. Yeah, is what I'm doing with you right now one of the bigger challenges or dangers of a business? The potential chasing of shiny objects, not, not being focused. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just talking to you because it's <laughs> exciting to think about where your, your tech can go, but I just know like there is a delicate balance between when to diversify and when that's a distraction and when we need to know our place and sit comfortably in it, you know, it, it, it takes discipline, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge proponent for, you know, discipline thinking, discipline action, you know, discipline behavior, right? Because it's fun, right? It's fun to talk about different use cases and applications. I mean, I, I've had, I've had, you know, various family members who would just write me up, like, oh, you know what? I was thinking about trust stamp the other day, and I was doing, you know, I was checking my mail, and and I, I thought this would be a great application or or whatever, right? 
And I was like, yeah, yeah. actually, that's great. Like, you know, and, and we can look at it into it and we can explore, we can ideate or whatever and go through that process. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, and, and, and look, I think there should be, you know, I, I'm, I'm the CFO. So I, I kind of think about the finances as well. And, and, you know, the, the pie, and I think there should be, you know, a, a portion of the pie that's reserved for that, right? You have to, like, I mean, you're ta you talked about skunk works. I mean, there's, there should be, you know, sec, uh, you know, part yeah. of the budget, budget permitting, uh, that, that, that is able to ideate and, you know, test things and, 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 and fail at things. Right. Uh, but take little, you know, take little, you know, little experiments that aren't going to sink the whole company, of course, and you wouldn't want to do that. Um, but yeah, in mm. turn, on the other side, mm. you know, certainly figuring out using discipline with a discipline mindset, figuring out where is our focus going to be and let's maximize in those areas and let's build a great company. And then, you know, by building a great company, you'll be able to do more of those fun, the, more of the fun stuff, right? Which is, yeah. you know, thinking of new stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it made me think of, I think it was Jim Collins talking, the guy that wrote good to great was talking about the approach of experimentation and that most people kind of shoot their one shot. Like right. if they got a new idea, they, they put all the powder in there and they shoot a huge, you know, like cannonball. And he yep. was talking about like strafing the water with bullets. Like, Hey man, right. don't spend your whole budget on this. Like, you know, like you said, a, a portion, a part of your budget and go for it, but it make it where it's an acceptable loss that if it wasn't the right idea, it doesn't sink the company and you can send a few more tests out there like bullets, you know, yeah, right. um, it's, it, it sounds like kind of how you guys are thinking about it. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Well, I want to, I'm curious, um, on you personally, again, what's interesting to me is who I get on the other side of this and, and what unique perspectives you have to offer. And you're sitting in Malta right now. And I am. And that is somewhere I've never lived, never visited, and it has been home for you for the last how many years? Two years, over two, over two years now. Okay. So I'm just curious from that end, like what led to that? How has that gone? I mean, you're not a single dude. You got a wife and a kid, and you're also helping lead this business, and you are across the world right now. Like, Talk to me about that. So we have a very convincing CEO <laughs> no no okay uh, we we do um but uh it, you know it, it was an interesting opportunity um we were this was in uh early 2020 um and we were uh uh you know the pandemic was just kicking off as, as i mentioned before um and we were approached by the government of malta it, it's a funny story actually so our, our ceo uh was flying he, he's he's british by background um, and he was flying to the UK and we have an office in the UK at the time, but he was flying to the UK and, um, he had, you know, uh, I think it was actually a cruise that was planned. It was a Mediterranean or European cruise. Um, and that was, that was, I think that was March of 2020. So COVID had just hit really. Um, and they started canceling flights, cruises, everything. So he, he pretty much got stranded. Um, he was able, he got a call at the same time by, um, the enterprise agency, the Malta enterprise is, is what it's called. Um, which basically it recruits companies to come to Malta and to, you know, they offer, they can offer huh. grants and different funding to, you know, to incentivize companies to come and he gets a phone call and they're like, Hey, we, you know, we'll, we'll fly a private jet out to pick you up and you, know, you can fly into Malta and, you know, we're really interested in trust amp. They had, they had approached us a few years earlier to, to come and, you know, we, we had declined at the time, but it just wasn't good timing. And, um, 
And anyway, so yeah, so he ended up in Malta and sat down, I think, with uh, with the minister, the, for, the foreign minister, and, and and I think even there was a, a photo shoot with the uh, with the prime minister. So they they wow. offered us a um, a grant to open up an R and D campus, um, and uh, and we did. So in May, our CEO and CTO moved out to Malta, opened up the campus. I joined, you know, about six months later. Um, and uh and yeah it's our largest office now we've got 45 employees it was in the middle as you mentioned it was in the middle of the pandemic so by the time i i got out here um so you know we had a two-year-old and my you know my wife was a little bit uh, hesitant about you know <laughs> moving halfway across the world in the middle of a global pandemic uh and very reasonably so so <laughs> I, I had to channel some of that yeah. that um that um influence from from our ceo to to convince her to move out but it, it's been great we've, we've loved it we love malta it's a beautiful country with rich in hi- uh, history um it's a two and a half hour flight from most european destinations so it's an easy easy flight you know easy hop to get to you know really beautiful cities and we've really enjoyed it wow i mean i can't even imagine what the logistics would be of moving during 2020 <laughs> much less moving across the world with flights and all that stuff when those were all up in the air of whether you could even take a flight and uh, was that just a nightmare we had yeah we had to go through dubai so um at the time this is before the vaccines came out um and if you remember the u.s had some of the worst covid numbers um and 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 the policies were a, a bit split state to state so um there were very few countries that would let you come directly from the united states and malta was not one of them um, fortunately, Dubai was, so we were able to go to Dubai. It huh. was a it was a green corridor com- uh, country, is what they called it. But we could go to Dubai, stay there for two weeks, which was basically the quarantine time. Um, and then from Dubai, Malta would let people from Dubai come in. So we went to Dubai, stayed there for two weeks, and then came to Malta. Um, that was and it, it was challenging. So in, in Malta, you know, they're really really quick with vaccines and. Um, they had some of the lowest COVID uh, numbers throughout the whole pandemic. So it, it was a good place to be. Um, it was a little island. So, yeah, I mean, you know, some people would get uh, island fever. But uh, overall, it's it's not a – I mean, if you're going to be at home and you're looking at the ocean and you're enjoying the sunshine, it's, it, it, it could be worse than that, you know? My God, yeah. I would have loved to have been in Malta during that, that whole time instead of my little suburb here, you know? Um, you're welcome man, to come out that... anytime. <laughs> Dude? I'm I'm down. If you can send out that private jet, I'll be there. Uh, <laughs> but I'm curious about uh, is so it's you are are the CEO and CTO still there? Uh, CEO and CTO are still here. Yep. It did more of your team join, or is it just kind of the three of you and your families? Yeah. So we had we've had uh, quite a few people um, come from the U.S. from our, our U.K. office. Um, I think we had a, a few folks come from Central Europe. So we've got offices kind of spread out six different countries. Um, and we've had people come stay for a couple of years and, and go back to their home country. Uh, but yeah, so myself, our CTO, CEO, um, we have a executive vice president and a few others that have been here basically from the beginning. So, um, I would imagine that that was a, and has been a unique bonding experience for you all. Is that, is that the case? Yeah. 20. So the year I got out here, 2021 was, um, was great. I mean, it was, you know, it was still a pandemic. So everybody was being really, you know, careful with social events and stuff. And there were a few, you know, mandatory quarantines and, and things like that. But other than that, I mean, you know, once things started lifting up and vaccines got out, 
um, you know, it was, it was, it was, uh, we had a lot of fun, you know, we had, you know, different, you know, Sunday fun day at our CTO's house, which, you know, out in the pool and, you know, barbecue and he's, he's a competition barbecuer. So we, you know, hang out by the pool and, you know, make drinks and have barbecue and, and stuff like that. So it, it was a whole lot of fun. Now I know what I'm so, missing in my life. I need a friend <laughs> that is a competition barbecuer. That sounds amazing. <laughs> the amount yeah. of amazing food you could have just on a weekend would be unreal. Um, man, for you, again, I want to stay on you for a little bit. At this stage of your life, at this stage of your career, what drives you? You know, I think it changes in different, in different stages of our life. Is it still success? Is it making as much money as possible? Is it balance? Like, end of the day, what keeps you engaged? What drives you right now? Yeah. So, you know, success or the, the conventional measure of success, you know, um, uh, is, is kind of a, um, success or money or all these kind of things. Like th those are kind of symptoms of, um, I, I believe of kind of finding that thing that you love doing. Right. Um, and you know, not always, I mean, you can, you can love doing a hobby, but if you can find the thing that you love doing, I think the, the Japanese have an amazing concept or it's a, it's a, the, the word they, they call it ikigai maybe you're familiar with ikigai. Yeah. it's basically mm -hmm. the venn diagram if you can find what you love to do what you can be great at what the world needs what you can make money at the intersection of those four um could be your passion or your life your life purpose um mm -hmm. you know i think that's a beautiful concept um but you know i kind of think about what do i love doing and you know when, when i really think about it i love i love to build things Right. And not necessarily, you know, building like blocks and Legos and stuff like that or that type of building, but more of just, you know, kind of thinking of an idea like a uh, something that needs to be done, a, a problem, a problem that needs to be solved. And then and then developing some sort of solution for that. Um, you mentioned Jim Collins earlier. Right. So he has a really great he has another yeah. great concept called um, uh, uh, about the clock builder. So if you remember the clock builder versus the time teller, and I think that's so applicable for businesses, mm. right? You know, you kind of have to choose. Talk to us about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So you have to choose kind of who you want to be, right? Do you want to be the the clock builder who focuses less on um, on being the the one responsible for getting the output of whatever you're trying to do? And the analogy's case is telling time, right? So he's a clock builder. So instead of being the time, as opposed to the time teller, who is the one who is kind of central to making the magic happen, right? They're the, the one who everybody leans on to kind of always tell them time. And when that person's not there, they're not able to tell time, right? So um, uh, so as opposed to that, you know, the clock builder is more focused on uh, building, you know, kind of a system so that others can tell time as good as, as they can or even better. Uh, the, the analogy around clock building, right? So for me, I get really excited about, you know, building clocks, right? It's kind of, it's kind of nerdy, but... Um, I think the concept holds where, you know, just, I like to, you know, get into something, see a problem, something that needs to be fixed and figure out what is the solution for that and design a, a, a great solution, right? And this could be for product development, or it could be just building, you know, a system or a process within a business and then kind of perfecting, iterating and perfecting that clock and then moving on to a new clock. Right. And I think, you know, if you can, if you can do that enough, yeah. you can build something that's really great. Um, and I, it definitely applies for business. So that, that's, that's what I get excited about. Um, I like building, I, I mean, I've really enjoyed my job, you know, working here at Trustamp, um, and, and being part of the process of building the company through basically zero to IPO. Yeah. 
What do you think it is about that building process that excites you? Yeah, that's a good question. So what is it about? I think, you know, it's, it's funny when I was younger, um, I was always, you know, I always thought I was, I was very eager to like, to, to progress, you know, you know, as we're talking about earlier, like, you know, success kind of being an, an, um, an output of, of finding what you love. Um, you know, I was always eager to, to progress, but I think now, you know, I'm 34 now. So, um, I mean, I'm, you know, still early in my relatively early in my career, but I, you know, I think that, um, you know, what, what, what I, we, we love more is not so much the getting, you know, is getting to the success point is that kind of that journey of getting to success. So, um, you know, what I, what I like about, you asked me what I like about clock building, right. Um, it's, it's just the process, right. It's, it's the getting, getting into a complex problem and coming up with a creative solution to that problem and, and then taking a step yeah. back and, and that, that feeling that you get once it's done and it's in place and seeing it work beautifully without your input is, is a great thing. Right. And then again, if you could do enough mm. of those and you kind of see collectively the, the, the output from all those clocks working perfectly, right. Or as perfect as they can. Um, it's just, you know, it's kind of like, it's a great symphony, right? So hopefully, yeah. hopefully there, there'll be a lot more of that to come. Yeah. That's what I was, that's what I was sensing is that you might have a more creative passion around building than let's say like a, a traditional engineer, like a, um, like my friends that were engineer, uh, you know, majors in college that were more about just, they liked putting Legos together. They liked, you know, the cold, hard science of how things work, but then there's the kind of creative tinkerers like you that are still producing real products and things out in the world. But it sounds a little more like alchemy, you know, taking random things together and watching it turn into magic. And you're like, wow, that was just fun. That was like a fun, creative expression to, to go through. Am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a good way to say it. Definitely. It's kind of an alchemy, right? It's like a one plus one equals three, right? It's like creating yeah sort of leverage with, um, with, you know, few inputs creates a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I think about is, um, all of us have a habit or a way of getting in our own ways at times. Um, and it's unique based on our wiring, based on our personality or whatever, you know, for me, if I'm going to get in my own way, it's going to be because I'm overthinking. The gift is that I have a great brain and I can think and I can, whatever. But if I get in my own way, I've been overthinking. I've been overanalyzing. I get analysis paralysis. And I, I it's almost like I wake up from a stupor and I'm like, oh, I'm overthinking. Oh God, I got to get back to trusting my instincts. I got to get back to making decisions, taking actions. What is it for you based on your personality? Like if you were to get in your own way in a given day, how is that going to happen? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, uh, I'm not really sure, right? So if I were to get in my own way, um, I think it's, it's, it's probably just overthinking things, right? You know, it's, it's, it's getting, you know, you're getting into something. So we'll go back to like the, the, the clock building, right? So if, if, you know, you're working on some problem and, you know, you, maybe, maybe you're thinking, you know, maybe it's just overthinking, like, am, am I really bringing everything that I need to bring into this problem, right? And am, am, am I approaching this differently than, then I normally approach it. And, you know, is there a better way or a more optimized way to, you know, to get into um, designing the solution for this specific problem, right? And a lot of times it's just like, you know what, just calm down, right? Take a step back. 
Yeah. And just do what you do, right? I mean, you, you know, there's not, there's nothing that you really need to, there's no magic that you have to, you know, figure out, right? To, to get the results. And you sometimes, you know, um, you just have to keep pressing forward, you know, almost like if you're sitting down trying to write an article, you're trying to, you know, uh, try to get through some, some writing, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, I just have yeah. that writer's block. And it's like, you know what, the best way to get through writer's block is just to start writing. Right. And, and then, and then you, right. you know, you get like 15 minutes into it. You're like, well, this is no different than whenever I was feeling super inspired. And I started jotting down words, right. You know, uh, that, that, feel, that seems like they came from nowhere. So yeah, I think that is, it's really just kind of thinking, thinking about it too much. Right. And just saying, just taking a break, stopping, tell myself to calm down and just, you know, keep pushing forward with the way you always do it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds very similar to me where again, you, I, I think about this often, like there's a difference in planning and worrying, right? Planning, both are, both are time traveling. You're trying to travel into the future and, and try to guess what's going to happen and, and make things, you know, make plans and whatever. Planning is useful when you go there for a second and you take your best guess at what you think might be a danger or might be a goal and you work backwards and a, and a plan comes out of it. Same thing though is worry, which is where you get stuck in the future and you're you're just trying to you know see every little danger and it's not leading to any productive conversation or any you know it's not around what you can control that's how thinking is for me when it's going well i'm doing something i'm usually taking an action i'm trusting myself i'm producing some work when i'm overthinking you're just walking in circles you know just walking in circles and you're not actually taking like you said with writer's block you're not just writing the words even if they're bad words knowing that better words will come later right yeah yeah, no, was, yeah, I was just going to say that, I mean, it, it's kind of, um, you know, uh, so another, another, <laughs> I think we're hitting a lot of Jim Collins here, but uh, another concept that he talks about is, and which I love, it's another great one, um, is, is productive paranoia, right, which is very similar to what, mm. what you're talking about, right, so, you know, there's, I, I kind of look at it like, there's good stress, there's bad stress, which I call distress, good stress will get you motivated, will get you going, you know, productive paranoia is, you know, it's, I'm, I, you know, I'm worried about what's going on, but not necessarily worried in the sense of like, there's nothing I can do about it. It's, I could be productive, mm. I could be productive in this thing that I should be worried about, right? I should be concerned about. So having that good, healthy stress is a good thing. Getting distressed about it is not a good thing because you can't control anything. If, if it's something that you can't control, all it's going to do is just, you know, it's just going to weigh, it's going to tear you down and it's not productive. Yeah, man. I love, I love that. I've done, um, entire trainings for, for teams on that very idea that typically we either demonize or we worship stress, especially in the West. So you either worship it and you're just every bit of stress is good. It's go, go, go. Let's grind. If you're not grinding, you ain't trying or you demonize it. And you're like, I'm stress proof in my life, man. Like all I want to do is go with the flow, keep all that away from me. And it's like, neither of those are healthy. Like we need necessary stress which is the challenge of you growing in some aspect and the weight that it comes with. But then what you talked about, I've never heard, connected that way. I would call it BS stress. So it was like necessary stress or bullshit stress, Yeah. but turning it into distress is exactly right. Like it is a type of distress that breaks you down more than builds you up. And just like you, it all exists out of your control. Necessary stress is always inside your control. It's based on what you're trying to do, your actions, the things you can do, and there's some friction that you're pushing through. Everything else is out of your control and a waste of your time, right? Yep. 
No, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's funny, you're, you're kind of hitting on like that, that golden mean, right? It's, it's the, the two, the two extremes of a vice or a virtue or two, two extremes of any vice, you know, is our two extremes of, of any virtue is, is a vice, right? But basically trying to find that, that golden mean, that balance. Um, so, yeah. you know, cause I also think that if you don't have healthy stress in your life, it's, you know, it, it could be a pretty miserable life, right? I mean, I think we're, we're made to, to be productive, right. We're, we're made yeah. to, you know, to kind of, you know, have concern, concern for others, concern for ourselves, concern for the world. Right. And that's what, that's what all this is about. Right. I mean, you, you advise a lot of, a lot of companies and, you know, we solve problems for companies and, and that's kind of what, what we're doing, right. We're, we're having, we know that they have concerns and we're stepping in to, to come up with good, with good solutions to solve those concerns. Um, and, and it's very fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, I just had, man, I just had the opportunity to serve uh, all of the Chick-fil-A operators across the country, I guess across the world, and around this conversation was around like, how do you actually have a sustainable career where you're both kicking ass, but you're also not burning out and, you know, feeling like you're just limping through life on fumes, right? And so one of the equations I shared with them comes from the work of Steve Magnus and Brad Stolberg, but it's real simple. Stress plus recovery equals growth. Two variables. Proper stress, proper recovery, you will grow, whether that's growing your muscles, growing your brain, growing your relationship. And if you get any of those out of whack, it leads to a different type of pain. So what you're talking about when you say like no stress, you don't want that, that's right, because that leads to atrophy or that leads to boredom, right? If you have if you have no stress, you know, like it all sounds, the way I described it to them is um, when astronauts go to space, we all fantasize about it. Like, dude, look how cool that would be just to float around in zero gravity, you know, like no weight on you and you can just float. And that's how we think about like retiring on a beach and doing nothing. But dude, their kidneys, their organs start to go in failure. Their muscles atrophy when they stay in zero gravity for too long because they need your muscles and body needs that weight to kind of carry. But then we know the other side of the spectrum, too much stress and no rest and you get injury whether that's mental injury, physical injury, emotional injury. Um, and so it's all about, yeah, that, that kind of golden mean. I like the way you described that of, hey, I want proper stress, but I also want proper recovery. I need a life. I need to know when to go. And I need to know when to stop. Right. So interesting fact related to exactly what you just said. Um, and, and getting back to the concept of, of Ikigai uh, from, from the Japanese. Um, so in the Japanese language, so that's a word in, in so Ikigai is, is a, is a word in, in, in Japanese or it's two words really. So one, uh, Iki is, is life and guy, it means like you're the work with your hands, right? So it's kind of like your life's purpose. Mm. Um, and an interesting fact is in, in Japanese, there's actually not a term for retirement. There's not a concept. Mm. Um, there's not a concept of I'm going to get to some certain point in my life and just not fulfill my life's purpose anymore. The thing that I was, you know, put on this earth to do, I'm just going to stop doing it. Right. So, you know, I yeah. think that that's also challenging. Now there's alternatives, right? There's, you know, all retirement doesn't mean just stopping, not doing anything, not contributing to the world, right? There's different ways to contribute to the world than a nine to five job and so on. But I think it's, it's important that, you know, to your point, right. Keeping that, that good, healthy stress, making sure the mental and, you know, and physical muscles of your body are healthy and strong and they're worked right. Um, and you know, and, yeah. and for self-actualization and, you know, mental health, right. To, to combat depression and anxiety and those kind of things. 
um, definitely, definitely an important factor. Absolutely. I mean, I'm watching it with my parents right now. They're maybe 10 years into uh, retirement. And it's just been interesting to watch. Like at first, they tried to do the normal thing. And they they still would fall somewhat in the in what we'd I think what we would probably grow up thinking about retirement. You know, they live at the lake in this community and they don't work, but they weren't happy that first year, you know. And so they started having to vol- They started choosing to volunteer places. They started realizing like we need to be intentional with like community, like we and then like reading and learning. And hey, and my dad's like, I don't want to just play golf. I probably need to be working out. Like they still needed to be a part of something and do something for life to just be enjoyable. You know, it's been very interesting to watch. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. I mean, I, I thought about, you know, when I, when I get to that point eventually, right. Um, you know, famously Warren Buffett, right. He, he wrote the book tap dancing to work when he was, I think when he was like 85 or something, um, wow. that's what I want to be doing at 85. I, w- I want to be da- tap dancing to work and, and I want, uh, I want to be building clocks at that point. Right. I want to be, you know, um, uh, enjoying what I'm doing and, and hopefully I'm doing that way, you know, from now and until then. Right. And I think that's, that's beautiful. That's kind of the, that's the ideal. That's, that is success. I love it. I love it, man. Thank you for being willing to go down yeah. the personal road and, and, uh, kind of wax poetic with me. I think that was, that was super valuable. Um, just to leave on, we always love just to know we're a learning community and I know it's not the only way to learn, maybe not even the best way to learn, but books are valuable. And so we've talked about Jim Collins some and his work. Are there any other authors or thinkers or books that you just really uh, love and would love to introduce our audience to? Yeah. You know, so I think, uh, the, the first that, author and businessman that comes to mind from, you know, from a, a business perspective, I, we could talk about a lot of different, uh, top, you know, different genres, but, um, uh, in terms of business, you know, I, I really, I think if I were to build a, a, a business philosophy, we'll call it, um, it would be a mixture and an overlap between Jim Collins and, uh, Ray Dalio. So if you've read his, he came yeah. out in 2017 with principles, it was work and life principles. principles yeah. Fantastic book. Um, I love his thinking. I love, you know, I, it's, it's funny since I was telling someone yesterday, um, and this is kind of a nerdy thing, but since I was, I think a teenager, like in college, I'd, I'd always taken out a, well, start, it started on a notepad and then it turned, it was Evernote. And then it was, you know, a number of different little note, uh, digital note, note apps, but I would always kind of jot down this thing happened. Right. And, you know, this is how I reacted to it and this worked well, or this didn't work well. And I've gotten probably thousands of entries <laughs> over over the years and kind wow. of like refined them. But I, and I've always done that consistently. And when I read his book in 2017, it was a huge validation because he really promotes that, right? Actually, I picked up, uh, I've got it on my, on my shelf there, but he just recently came out with a, um, with a principles journal, um, which basically helps people mm-hmm. learn how to jot down principles. Because his whole, maybe you're familiar with, with his book, you've, you've read it, um, the whole, the whole, I actually haven't read it, but I, I know of it. I'm ashamed I haven't read it, but I definitely know of it. Well, there, there's so many good ones out there, right? But I, I definitely recommend this. 100% recommend it. In in Principles Journal, you know, he he's telling people, um, uh, you know, he's walking people through the process of, you know, this kind of iterative evolutionary growth, pro, you know, uh, cycle that people go through, and you know, because you encounter some kind of problem. And the, the, the concept is, you know, this is just another one of those, right? Like, 
maybe the ingredients are a little bit different, but this, what I'm experiencing uh, happened to me before. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and, and if I can, if I could stop, reflect on it, on how it went good or bad, then I can like create a, I can produce a, a, a principle out of it. So that way, whenever I encounter that problem again, I can apply the principle that worked well. And it, you know, I can kind of move to the next, you kind of level up to the next level. Right. And over time, those just become little jewels that you have in your treasure box. Um, and I, I think it's a, it's a powerful concept. So and he gives a lot of like actual practical principles on, on work and life. And he's also written some great things on on economics and, um, you know, social economics and things like that. So definitely recommend him as well. Heck, yeah. Well, I, I even think uh, that idea alone helps you eliminate one of the most frustrating things about going through another phase of something is when you're not seeing the lesson when it feels new to you, even though, like you said, it might just be a repeating of some pattern that if you had remembered, you'd go, Oh, it's just a different setting, but like, I need to apply similar principles and I can get, you know, I can get moving through that, that process quicker than just kind of spinning in circles, wondering what I'm doing. Does that make sense? 100%. Yep. Love it. Well, Alex, I know it's late over there for you. I can hear my, my kids getting closer and closer to my door, which means this is about to, (laughs) get interrupted. Uh, but man, thank you so much for making time for being on here, sharing your story, sharing your wisdom. I've learned a lot and it's been a true honor. Likewise. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me, Drew. And it was, it was my pleasure. Awesome. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.